Welcome back to another episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. We've got some new cameras. We've got some sale prices on small HD monitors. We've got all kinds of stuff to talk about this morning. But uh, before we get started, we're waking up. We're getting up in the morning. We are moving forward with our breakfast shakes. Mitch, what have you been up to, man? Superman! Hey, DJ. Thanks for having me on yet again in another exciting episode. Oh, wait, it's not exciting. I didn't say exciting this morning. Uh, maybe I should say uh, slightly sleepy. Well, I'm, I don't know if you can hear it, but there's thunder booming going on outside. We're having yet another thunderstorm here in St. Louis. It's been rainy crazy for the last couple of weeks. Wow. Any hail, uh, tornadoes or anything like that? No. I, you know, that's one thing I've always wanted to see is a tornado. And someday I'm going to go to tornado hopping out in the Midwest. Wait, I'm in the Midwest. <gasps> maybe, so, I should, maybe I could just sit here and watch. So true story. I've seen eight tornadoes in person in my what? life. Uh, three hit the town in which I lived in while I was growing up. And uh, there was an even bigger one if you search for Grand Island, Nebraska, uh, there was so much damage to Grand Island, Nebraska, that uh, they actually built a hill out of the leftover scrap from the tornado coming through yeah. town. And uh, um, I actually, I found out I had a Dodge, I don't know what kind of car it was. It was a Dodge Dynasty, I think, but it, I don't know what year it was. But uh, I found out for the first time that that car had a maximum speed limit before the engine shut off. We're on the interstate, we're driving, and all of a sudden... Uh, a tornado is out in the left field, you know, just coming towards the interstate. And we look at each other and like, what do we do? And people are parking under the bridge and, you know, doing other things. And I'm like, we just need to go. So I step on the gas. The car ramps up to about 95, 90 miles an hour, something like that. And then the engine dies. Oh, my God. And we're all screaming in the car and the tornado is still coming towards us like, ah, we're going to die. And, uh, and then it drops down to 80 and the engine picks back up again and it starts going. And it keeps doing that. And we're just like, we're all at the edge of our pants, you know, hoping that we're moving fast <laughs> enough. And thankfully, we got out of there and that was fast enough to outrun the tornado. But uh, it turns out there's a governor on some cars uh, built into the computer that uh, doesn't allow you to go any faster than a certain speed before really? it, it either idles or kills the engine. And uh, that's how I discovered that, uh, you know. <laughs> I believe the statute of limitations is up for speeding, so I, I'm okay there. The the strange things that we learn on the DSLR Film Noob podcast. You know, I didn't used to think tornadoes or uh, hail or lightning and thunderstorms were a strange or scary thing until you meet people that have never seen it before, and they they hunker down for that stuff. I mean, they go lay in their bathtub all night while the thunderstorms going by and they, uh-huh. you know, uh, uh, are freaking out if they see one dent on their car. I've had three cars totaled by thunderstorms and two roofs replaced and windows broken out of my house. So you just got to get used to it after a while. It's like, well, bunker down for uh, an entire evening and no lights and uh, candle lit to dinner and, and hanging out in the dark, enjoying each other's company. So... Yep, yep. I would like to say that uh, everything is good here. Mitch, do you have anything you want to talk about before we move on to the news? No. All right, let's just dive right into this because that's enough uh, reminiscing about old days of thunderstorms. It's an exciting episode of the... Time 
for the news. All right, first up, let's talk about some falling prices here. If you are interested in a seven inch monitor for your kit, your rig, whatever you're shooting on, uh, there's a phenomenal price on the- DJ? DJ? Yeah? Uh, that expired yesterday. Oh, it expired yesterday? <laughs> oh my gosh. Deal zone. There was a timer on it that. Uh, oh no! Okay. Ninety nine. <laughs> Mitch just uh, uh, failed the show r- right out of the gate. Um, so uh, there was a phenomenal price on the small HD seven hundred one light seven inch camera, or I mean uh, monitor, and it was priced at, as you can see here, I have it captured, and obviously I wasn't paying enough attention. Uh, Three ninety nine. Uh, now it is back up to six ninety nine. No longer on sale. Uh, so if you got in on that deal, you are awesome. Unfortunately, I was too late to put it in the show. I, for some reason, thought it expired tomorrow, so I felt like it was show noteworthy. Uh, so the reason I put that in there, actually, Mitch, and this is something I wanted to ask you about, um, it's about that time again for new products to start hitting the market as we move towards uh, fall and then into Christmas time. Uh, we're already hearing announcements from camera manufacturers for stuff that's coming out of Photokina. Do you think uh, uh, price drops like this indicate that Small HD may be releasing another line of monitors to replace the 701 and 501 series? Well, I sure wish I knew the answer to that question, but my good friends over at uh, Small HD are not talking to me about those kind of things these days. They never did, okay? <laughs> but, um. I, I think those highly successful line of, of monitors and maybe they're bumping them up into a, a newer version and tweaking them a little bit, but uh, I don't have any inside knowledge on that. I think it's it's fascinating in one arena if you think about the fact that they dropped the price that low. Um, I'm wondering how they made any money on them. I don't know. Uh, if you ever pay attention, and uh, for those of you listening and watching, always check out B&H's Deal Zone because, uh, you know, uh, I would say probably like three quarters of the stuff in there is not stuff you really want. But every once in a while, there's like a little diamond in the rough where you look at it and you're like, holy crap, that's a great price on a piece of kit. And if you're in the market for it, it's really good. Now, while we're talking about monitors here, Mitch, I wanted to ask you. I used to shoot on 7-inch monitors on a regular basis, but uh, as my rigs get smaller and I start scaling down, I've been moving to 5-inch panels as as opposed to the 7-inch panels, and that's because the resolution has gone up, um, I wear glasses so I can still see everything, <laughs> and they're good enough for uh, checking sharpness, and they're far better than the screen on the back of the A7S Mark II. Now, would you give up the size for the weight, or would you prefer a 5-inch monitor that's much smaller? Well, typically when I'm shooting stuff, it's myself, right? I'm I'm in my basement studio, and I have uh, an aperture monitor, there's a plug for you. Uh, that's a seven-inch monitor, but it's far enough away uh, that I need to. It's because of the size and how far away I have it. Uh, I, I need a seven-inch, but that's only because of where I'm placing it. I do prefer a smaller size. Uh, <laughs> I say that as maybe I should hold up my iPhone six plus. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I do like the bigger size in terms of that monitor. Uh, but I understand this, the weight issue, especially if you're mounting it on the top of a camera and doing any kind of handling well, for any length of time. I can tell you with the GH4, with the flip-out screen, and we've talked about flip-out screens in the past, the monitor or the screen itself is good enough for me to simply rely on the screen on the GH4 to shoot. What I find with the A7S and A7S Mark II is that the screen is surprisingly atrocious. Uh, you think it looks good at first, but you go back and you'll miss critical focus, you know, probably half the time if you're relying on that screen as any indicator of what's in and what's out of focus. Now, of course, you can punch in, and that does provide a much better uh, representation of what you're shooting. But you put a IPS display 1080p on the A7S Mark II, and it is a phenomenally different shooting environment. Uh, I don't know why Sony's put such a crappy screen on the back of their... Aren't they known for their monitors? Yeah, I know. That's that's exactly <laughs> it. And, yeah. you know, Panasonic, I mean, I, I don't want to speculate too much, but I'm, I'm guessing they outsource their panel for their camera. They don't make it in-house. So, you know, why would Sony skimp on something like that? And it's really hard to say. Uh, but uh, if you ever shoot with a, a GH4, that's one of the things that's... Well, one of the many things it's a joy to do is to use the flip-out screen and uh, have good representation of your image. Now, I try not to shoot with monitors whenever possible. It used to be mandatory when I shot on the 5D Mark III, but now when I can get away with it, I try to carry as little as possible. Just less kit, less equipment, smaller yep. scale. Okay, that's... Uh... <laughs> tend to get a little carried away with uh, gear envy and excitement when we first get started, and then the more we do it, we kind of tear it down, don't we? I had a, I had a fellow shooter uh, over at my place this weekend. He was checking out the remodeling I was doing, and he walked into my office that I'm in right now, and his eyes got big. He's like, holy crap, you have a lot of gear. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. He's like, what do you decide to take with you? And I pointed to a single bag back there that uh, only holds about six lenses. And I'm like, that's the maximum size of bag I travel with. He's like, what? How do you decide? I'm like, you, you got to go through the shot list. You got to go through the script and you got to narrow it down because I'm not breaking my back as I'm older, carrying around a bunch of freaking equipment all over the place. In fact, uh, you know, just the other day I was lugging a bag for three hours and my shoulder started hurting and it's like, ah, I need to even scale back a little bit more. Maybe I can get this into like a, a male messenger bag or something like that. This is old man problems, I guess. Old man problems. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. All right, let's move on to a camera release. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, camera? a new really? camera. Uh, it's not even Photokina wow. yet, and people are already trying to beat other companies to the punch. And this is actually uh, a surprise to me and probably a refreshment, uh, not a refreshment, a refreshing sight to see for Fuji fans. Uh, Fuji Films has announced the new X-T2 camera. This is the first in the line of Fuji's cameras that are capable of shooting 4K internally. This camera is an APS-C sensor. It has all the regular things that you would expect, including a headphone jack, which is now uh, mandatory, I hope, for most camera manufacturers, as well as a microphone input and the ability, of course, to record 4K internally. Uh, now, there is a great interview over at uh, newshooter.com that you can listen to. It's a uh, manual 
Pampuri. Am I pronouncing that last name correctly? I think I'm not me. I don't know. Anyway, uh, go check it out. Listen to it. He's the DP that's been playing around with this camera for quite a while. Uh, according to the interview, he mentioned that the, there were menu issues currently dealing with. Uh, they're, they're in a beta firmware right now. He also noticed that there's a significant rolling shutter and the battery life on the X-2T is pretty minimal. He was talking about the batteries in that interview, and he said that three batteries in the grip lasted him just about as long as a single battery in the GH4, oh which, uh, you know, oh the GH4 can That's usually... Not much, is it? No, the, the GH4 can usually get two <laughs> to, to three hours of shooting on a single battery internally, maybe... I would lean closer to two. Uh, he was uh, claiming getting about uh, two hours or a little less on three batteries in the battery grip, which, wow, that's, uh, Yikes. yeah, that, that's, that is pretty bad. Uh, an, that means you've got to have the battery grip and extra batteries in there, plus another set of batteries when you're shooting. <laughs> Holy crap. The other thing you mentioned is, is that, yo, and the, yeah, they're Fujifilm batteries too. So, I don't know if there's very many aftermarket uh, options for that, which means you're going to be paying premium prices for batteries, probably 30 to 50 bucks a pop. Uh, eight batteries, you're really making an investment there. Wow, that's, that's stunning. Now, uh, that kind of puts a real dent in it for most people, doesn't it? Oh, man. Well, the price on this is actually pretty reasonable. Uh, we're looking at a street price of $1,600 retail, which you can pre-order. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, if if you're in the market for a new Fuji camera, this is really exciting. If you're comparing this to some of the competition and you're wanting to jump ship from you know Panasonic or Sony over to the Fuji camp, it doesn't look as attractive to me personally. Uh, the other thing that they noted in the interview is that uh, this has a 10-minute file length. So, what? yeah, so you're arbitrarily locked down to 10 minutes worth of shooting, which uh, in the past we've seen at least cameras going up to the 29.99 minutes worth of recording to uh, circumvent the EU and its uh, uh, hold on cameras versus video cameras. <sighs> I don't know. Mitch, what do you think about the the X-T2? Is this anything that excites you? I, I know, and I want to preface this because somebody's going to get really mad at us. Uh, no. I don't shoot on Fuji cameras. I know several photographers and no filmmakers, actually, that love the Fuji line of cameras. And Fuji does have an awesome set of lenses. But Mitch, you're a Canon shooter. I'm a... I shoot not Fuji, but I shoot on a lot of stuff. I don't know. What do you think about this camera? Well, it's it's interesting, and I think I say that a lot recently, so I'm going to try to come up with another phrase. Um, intriguing. It's intriguing. Yeah, it sounds very similar, doesn't it? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. We're getting to the point, and I've said this before, that there's a glut of cameras on the market. Uh, Karen from Australia, who was writing for me, uh, loves Fujifilm cameras. She's just all over them and just jumping up and down, excited about this one. And, and I guess it comes down to, a, you know, lenses, right? If you happen to have some lenses that fit on this camera, then this is going to be pretty exciting. A couple of things to note when I was doing a little bit of research, uh, the guy that wrote the article for The Verge 
which is the one I think you quoted at the beginning of the show notes. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, the video that he did, he was like, I love this camera. He said that the P1 had become his favorite camera and, you know, got rid of all of his Canon and other, other cameras. He just loved the heck out of it. I don't know why. I mean, it's a personal preference thing, I guess. Uh, I don't know why it's that much more exciting. He didn't really talk about individual items or features that really floated his boat. He did say there were some problems with it. And he said the LCD, speaking of LCDs flipping out, uh, the LCD doesn't flip out far enough for him. And in the picture, it only seems to come to like a, I don't know, 35 degree angle, or I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, it looks like it comes like maybe, uh, yeah, let's say 35 degree angle. I don't know. If you wanted to flip it out, like like the T4i or the T5-6i, whatever, you know, I use that. I still have one that flips out all the way and turns around so that if you're standing in front of the camera, then you have an external mo- uh, a monitor to, to watch what you're doing. And that doesn't look like it goes anywhere close to being able to do that. Um, you know, okay, it's got 4K video in it, and I I did find one article that said it's got 100 megabits per second, which is pretty decent bit rate. Uh, it does have HDMI out and live monitoring on the audio, so that's good. But <laughs> really, kind of the other thing that I did put in the show notes, and I don't even know if you saw it, but there was an article on Petapixel with pushing the raw in, uh, in post production so they underexposed the uh, nature scene uh, one of the guys that had a beta version and on the right hand side you see they've pushed it uh, in post and it looks pretty dead gum good and i i wasn't able to see the the originals of course but uh it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of noise in that shot once it's been boosted in post so that could be pretty cool if you're a photographer of course doesn't help on video side at all <laughs> but i know i you know again as you said i'm a canon shooter i've got canon lenses canon lenses aren't going to fit on there i don't have any particular need to switch but so, for those who are in the fuji they're, they're probably pretty excited i've led a few uh, uh photo sh- photo walks and I, I do this occasionally in the portland area I'll, I'll set up an event and walk people around in a group and we all take shots and we talk about how we shoot and everything and the two fuji shooters and i was surprised too two fuji shooters not just one in the area <laughs> both swear by their camera they say it's the best stills camera that you can get and when you you kind of try and pin them down a little bit to figure out what part makes it the best uh, one of the guys he's an older gentleman i think he's a college professor uh does sociology something like that but uh his thing is the film they have film look settings built into the camera and he was a film shooter for a long time and he told me that basically what he gets out of his Fuji camera is the same exact look as he used to get out of the stock film rolls that he used to shoot on when he was younger. And because of that, he just absolutely loves the look and the crunch and all the other things. It, 
when I try to tell them, like, you probably achieve most of that in a post-production workflow through, you know, Lightroom or any of the other photo editing options that are out there, uh, he was like, no, this is easy. I just push the button, set it to, you know, film look and, and start shooting. And the other uh, person, she was younger, and her thing was more you know it was style she's like look at how this look at the shape of this it's you know boxy and it's it's got this like look to it that you can't find anywhere else and it it feels different and she's like look at that canon camera over there it's uh it it doesn't have enough stuff on it you know it just doesn't look good <laughs> then you know in person you look at a fuji films camera and they are stylish uh the internal settings i mean i don't know it, Every camera these days seems to have like a sepia tone setting if you want to like set it to that. Uh, are those enough? Maybe. I'm looking at the lens selection for Fujifilm cameras and it is quite robust here. Uh, we basically have uh, most of the primes that you'd want covered and they are coming out with a few more zooms, but the zoom range that they offer for the camera lineup is is pretty decent right now. So if you're a shooter on Fuji and you have a lot of lenses, as Mitch said, this is probably exciting. In comparison to other offerings, I don't know. It's nice to see an APS-C uh, sensor camera that shoots 4K, but we just got the A6300 from Sony, which is also capable of shooting 4K on an APS-C sensor, and it's priced at $999. So, uh -huh. you know... It's a hard sell for a new buyer to go into the market and just shoot straight for a Fuji camera. It's the same thing with Olympus. Like, you look at Olympus, like, I love the look of the OMD line of cameras. They're all boxy and they got, you know, metal all over them and they look like an old rangefinder. But in reality, so many other companies are offering up so many more features in their camera lineup that it's a hard sell to be like, well, yeah, I could, I could definitely use an Olympus body or I could definitely use a Fuji body and no compatibility. Like at least with Sony bodies and uh, Panasonic bodies right now, we have lens compatibility between uh, Canon and even there's some Nikon adapters out there that allow autofocus control, aperture control and other electronic controls that make the lenses mostly useful on those bodies. Uh, I don't know that anything like that exists for the Fuji film cameras, which also puts them at yet another disadvantage. Anything else well, to add before we move on? Well, a, a couple of a couple of bits uh, while you were going into that long oration about your camera. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> love you, man. Love you. Uh, I just thought about it that when you mentioned the Olympus, the, this doesn't have any image stabilization in body in it either. No, right? it does not. I haven't seen that mentioned anywhere. So that must not be available, and therefore Olympus makes it an even better uh camera at at those prices um and the other thing that that i have to back up you were talking about the the style of the image that the one guy was talking about and and i saw that mentioned in a couple of places that it, fuji users really love some of the selections of the film looks and yeah. i have to go back and kind of remind you that you often talk about the how you love the canon line because you can shoot it and not fool with it a whole lot in post and so you often 
hey, that's a good thing. That, that's uh, that's for video. <laughs> for stills, okay. I don't, I don't have any preference either way because no matter what, I take all of my photos into Lightroom and mess with them. I, I, you know, I have profiles set up. I set them up for the cameras when I get them. I have lens correction profiles for video. I like the look of a Canon camera better than anything else. And maybe Fuji is going to succeed there too. Maybe their video look, the, the thing I found frustrating was the DP that they were interviewing. It's like, uh, how did you shoot on this? He's like, Oh, I shot in this ultra stylized black and white. Like, well, (laughs) that's awesome. I mean, that's a cool stylistic choice, but at the same time, how does that show off the range and capabilities of this camera? Like, you know, you could put anything in black and white and make it look pretty decent, if not really good. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, my statement there was actually for video mode with, I knew, I know, but, and if that's, and if that's true, if you can apply those film looks in video mode with this camera, maybe it makes it appealing. All I was going, (laughs) I'm, try, I'm trying to give them a little boost, okay? Maybe a little option. I don't want one. I, I especially don't want one because I've, I'm so in love with full-frame sensors that an APS-C doesn't appeal to me at all. So, All right. I'm going to jump around in the show notes a little bit and move oh. to the very last item on the list just because this is cool and we're talking about photos and stylistic photos now you can do some amazing things with smartphones and uh there was some lightning shots that people were uh, talking about with the uh uh, new iphone but uh, check this out this is gorgeous it is shot with an iphone from thirty-seven thousand feet by a pilot flying over the pacific uh, I've got a link to the Petapixel article on this, and it is absolutely gorgeous. So yeah. you look at a picture like this, Mitch, and you wish you took it. You know, for the, as soon as I see this, I'm like, man, if only that was in my portfolio, maybe I'd be working in photography instead of in video. But uh, with something like this on an iPhone, what does this tell you about where cameras are going? <laughs> I know we talk about smartphones replacing most of the things in your pocket, but this is more impressive than almost any other iPhone photo I've seen. Unless maybe there's a collection somewhere of really amazing iPhone photos that I've just missed out on over the years. Uh, What do you think, Mitch? I I saw this photo yesterday evening and I was blown away just like you. It's a gorgeous photo. And yes, I wish I had that in my portfolio. And it's it is surprising because it is an iPhone uh, photo. Now, what is? Oh, go ahead. I hadn't really thought about this though. I'm 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 glancing at the uh, um at the article on Petapixel, and I hadn't noticed this before. But it says. Oh, I'm sorry. That's another. They're linking to another article. I thought they were trying to say this was captured at 24, 240 frames per second. But, no, that was some um, lightning shooting, I think. Uh, yeah. Right. Sorry. I got really excited thinking it was actually part of a frame of a video. Oh, that would be really cool. Now, when we see this, and, and the reason I threw this in the show notes, uh, did you see that... Um, that reveal that uh, I believe it's called Huey or Huey uh, smartphone uh, was faking the images that they were posting 
of uh, shots from their smartphone. Yeah, we covered that on a website called They're beautiful shots and then you find out that uh, they didn't actually come from the smartphone at all based on the metadata, right? Well, and, and, and there's another lesson that you think most people would have learned by now that if you're going to start posting something that's uh, not shot with your camera that you strip off the exit data, right? Yeah. You strip that stuff off. You say, hey, uh, let's get smart about this and not post a camera that was really, really shot. <laughs> Fail. Because people look at this stuff. They, it's like, oh, horrible, horrible. My favorite is when you see smartphone photos posted and people forget to strip the GPS coordinate information off of their photos. And it's like, you know, you just took a picture of the new stereo you bought and put it in your house. Like, uh, and, oh, look, there's like $6,000 worth of cameras sitting right there. And now we have your street address. So, and we know that you work in the evenings because you tweet when you're going to work. So that's a great time to just stop by and, you know, pick up some stuff, get a, get a free collection going. At, yeah. and, and there's apps that go scan, uh, scan uh, social media looking for those kind of photos. And the, the burglars have these apps that just figure out all that stuff for them. I'll never forget a story when my wife and I, this is going back in the old days, and I know way off track, but it's short. <laughs> my wife and I went to a restaurant, and this was 20 years ago, right? Back in the days when we still used answering machines at home. And the young lady at the table next to us was telling her friends, well, if you want to know where I am and if I'm not home, just call me because every time I leave the house, I put a voice message on my answering machine telling you where I am. What? Yeah, she so she would so she would leave a voice message on her answering machine. Hey, I'm over at the blah blah blah. So and I'm like, just send an alert to the burglars going, Hey, I'm out of the house. Come steal my stuff. Wow. Oh. Anyway. All right, let's photo. Love that photo. Let's move on to some more photo saving stuff. Now, we all know about Snapchat. It's uh, the it's well, I uh, most of us know about Snapchat. Uh, In fact, it's it's slowly becoming the bastion of adults as opposed to just uh, younger kids. Uh, It was where a lot of people fled from other social medias as they grew older in uh, demographic but snapchat was originally known for the fact that it was ephemeral you took a picture you sent it to someone and hopefully it disappeared uh people thought of it as kind of a place to send uh nudie pics and other inappropriate uh content to fellow snapchat users but it looks like snapchat is trying to move into more of a standard uh, social media style platform and they have released Snapchat memories. Now, ironically, a uh, app that's designed specifically to make things be ephemeral and disappear will now be able to save and collect all of your photos and information so that you can revisit it at a later date. This is kind of um, a a strange turnabout for a company that's known for stuff just disappearing. And when Snapchat was formed, it was formed in the same time as things like uh, Chat Roulette and, and some of these other platforms that were supposed to just go up and then disappear. 
What do you think about this move from ephemeral to storing your memories for as long as you need them, Mitch? Is this just a, a move to be Twitter or, or Facebook in the face of a changing environment in the social media market? Interesting uh, conversation coming up here, so tune in. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know the guys that created Snapchat. They've always irritated me. I've tried to encourage my children to uh, not like this application uh, purely because the guys that created the app are scumbags. They're, they're literally total scumbags. Uh, because you said, you know, it started uh, people were using it for sending naked pics, right? Yep. That was the whole intent in the beginning. These guys, The guys that own the company uh, admit it. Uh, they I don't, I don't think they should be rewarded for that as a, as a parent. Uh, they're now virtual billionaires. They've never sold their company. So they were offered three or four billion dollars by Facebook two or three years ago when they turned it down, which I thought was a stupid idea. But the company's now uh, valued at about 15 billion dollars, which just slays me. Fifteen billion dollars. They're they're valuing this company. Yeah, but what's their revenue to uh, actual evaluation uh, difference? Because surely there isn't enough ad rev coming in from. How do how, the question is? How do they make money? Exactly. That's what I'm there, saying. Like, it's, there isn't anything that they charge for. Uh, and I so this morning when I was getting ready for the show, I went out and s- surfed. How does uh, Snapchat make its money? And it turns out that they have the front screen. And I don't use Snapchat. And last, it's kind of funny that you put this in here because last night my daughter uh, sent me a Snapchat. And I haven't looked at Snapchat in forever. I'm like, I'm really confused by this user interface because I didn't know where anything was. <laughs> uh, but my kids are still using it. Now, they're, they're 18 and 21. And so they're still using this app. Uh, but... There's apparently the home screen has now sponsored videos, but they don't really say they're sponsored. But you can see uh, stars like, uh, you know, uh, I've, one of the teen stars was on the front. I forgot. <laughs> uh, but, but, the, but Snapchat is selling those. So if you're a product owner and what your product featured or your celebrity or whatever, it costs about $750,000 to put a video on the home screen, according wow. to the article that I was reading this morning. And I'm like, well, <laughs> almost a million bucks to put your 30-second video on the front screen of, of Snapchat? That's where they're making their money. Wow. It only lasts for a day, right? So that's a one-day purchase, according to the article I read. I was like, holy crap. Uh, so that's why it's being valued at $15 billion, because there's, they've got a stink load of, of users. They're still using it. It hasn't fallen out of grace, which is always your fear, right? Yeah. If you're an owner of one of these things, like Twitter seems to be dying, if you ask me. Uh, Too many bots on Twitter. It's just uh, it's becoming uh, slowly uh, unusable. Well, and people don't. I mean, I post. I used to get a lot of my views off of Twitter. So if I post a new story on Twitter, you know, a bunch of people would suddenly show up on Planet 5D. And now you post something and it's like, 
okay, snore. Nothing ever <laughs> happens on Twitter anymore. And, you know, that's fine. That's the way social media goes. It's hot for a while, and then it fades out. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened to Facebook, but that's all another story. Yeah, I don't like Facebook. I've seen companies creating uh, continuous content for Snapchat. Uh, we mentioned The Verge earlier. They actually have, like, three dedicated Snapchat channels that are continuously kicking out stuff daily. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, like – your stuff is disappearing. You're creating all this content that is only seen instantaneously and then goes away. What continuous value does that bring to the table? Because as a media consumer, you want new stuff all the time. But as a creator, you want to have an entire catalog, but you lose the catalog. And the catalog is what continues to generate revenue uh, down the road. You know, if you imagine for a second, if you will, uh, a season of, I don't know, Jag or uh, um, any show you want to watch. You're watching that show. And now after you're done, season 12 is the last thing available and it goes away. Everything goes away and there's nothing left. I mean, like, what good is that? That doesn't doesn't make you any money. You can't resell it. People can't go back and revisit stuff. And, and maybe these companies are saving that catalog and putting it somewhere. But if you're generating daily content like that, the other thing is even if you're saving it, that's a glut of content that uh, you're going to have to organize, figure out how to do something with. And if you're just dumping it on a Snapchat, how do you do that? I don't know. Well, it, 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 And like you say, I, uh, your initial rant is Snapchat was created these ephemeral things and the stuff went away and now if it's not going away (laughs) then what's it for exactly it's just like everything else um other than they've got you know a collected audience and i think you're you're probably right they're trying to go after twitter and facebook and 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 have some additional features but I don't know. I've never I've I've honestly never liked Snapchat because of its origins. You know, they used to swear up and down that they didn't save anything and found out that you could get access to those photos. <laughs> well, just, my favorite, you know, people are like, you can't save this. And then you see someone holding a cell phone in front of a cell phone, taking a picture of the other cell phone. Like, oh, uh-huh. you know, analog still works. I can still copy. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's move on to another camera. Now, Mitch, we talked about this, I want to say like seven or eight months ago, and it was something we were both kind of excited about. It was a new type of camera that used multiple sensor sites and various tricks with mirrors and so on to generate some very interesting and unique features in a cell phone-sized camera. This was called the L16, and if I remember correctly, you plunked down a bit of cash to pre-order this guy. Uh, we're coming up on the date of release, if not passing it. And uh, I just wanted to know, do you, do you have the camera? Have you seen the camera? Do you know what's going on with this camera right here? <laughs> well done, DJ. Well done. Now, I've only plunked down $200 so far. Uh, but uh, so, so the company is called Light. Uh, they have, and it was, it's so ironic, you know, I, I did plunk down money and was hoping to see the camera by mid 2016. And here it is mid 2016. So I started actually writing an article about the camera this past weekend because I'm like, I haven't heard anything recently. And so I was, I sent 
my connection over at light an email and i said hey send me an update because i want to publish a story before anybody else publishes a story because it's been so long since anybody published a story and lo and behold as i'm trying to get information out of light what do they do they <laughs> send out an email <laughs> friday they send out an email wednesday afternoon with a major update i'm like crap i've been i've been trying to do this little sneaky thing where i'd be the first person to post something right and lo and behold, they Snapchatted me. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm still fascinated by this. And, and they published something. So that the last update, you were right, was eight months ago. Um, they published a video, which I don't think you probably sat down and watched, but it's an hour long. Is that the one where and he talks about the technology? and? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I watched some of that, but it's pretty long-winded. It is very long-winded, and some of it is really kind of uh, over my head or under my weeds. head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it turned out there were several interesting things in there. The fact that they are getting the sensors for each of those 16 uh, cameras inside the camera and it, it, the sensor modules for 3 bucks a pop, and they're paying a dollar a pop for the lenses oh wow that's pretty right. affordable <laughs> it's dead gum cheap but interestingly enough though the, the gentleman who was is one of the owners of the company or the cto the technology officer <laughs> talked about the fact that one of the biggest problems they have at the beginning is the fact that you can go over to china and start talking to these sensor manufacturers about you know your needs for your camera and and they say okay well how many units do you want and you say oh, ten thousand and they say you go talk you, you come back and talk to us when you're talking about minimum order sizes of a million or more it's yeah. like what? <laughs> what, what but 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 we, we need these things and so <laughs> they had to like get some of their uh friends who happen to know the sensor guys to go back and talk to them and say well you really need to talk to this company because they may be talking small orders at the beginning but eventually they're going to be talking big orders so anyway long story short uh the announcement that they had on wednesday was that multiple things they got a 30 million dollar investment from venture capitalists now to me that implies that their technology is very appealing. We don't know all of the details yet about really what they're planning on, but they're planning on some big things because I don't think venture capitalists would dump $30 million into this company if they didn't think this technology was really feasible. Now, what they have shown us so far in terms of actual photos, are they're good, but they're not... They're not mind-blowing. Yeah. It's like, uh, okay, I let's look at this photo of the thundercloud that was taken with the iPhone 6 and say, okay, is this technology really that astounding? Uh, what, I, what, I, what I think what we really want to see – so, so let me back up. So, so they have sh released uh, some additional photos. They gave a gentleman – sends uh, somebody or other from Switzerland or Norway or something 
and I apologize because I don't know his name, but he took the camera to the like North Pole. Uh, okay, I'm exaggerating again. <laughs> <laughs> a bit to, to the Arctic and shot some photos and I included one of them on, on the article that we did at Plan 5D and it's it's good but it's not like holy crap I gotta have that camera uh, and and it's the difficulty with these things is that they're comparing themselves to DSLRs right they say this will be like having a DSLR in your pocket and and yet they haven't shown uh, like a side by side. If you take a 5D Mark III, for example, take a photo and then take the same photo with this camera, then you could actually compare and go, okay, is it really DSLR like or not? And uh, I am on the waiting list for not only I mean I have purchased one, but I'm also on the waiting list for the preview copies that they're going to be sending out before. The camera is announced. Now, a well, quick question for you: Wasn't this camera, besides the crazy zoom range that was available, supposed to provide some shallow depth of field? Yes. Now, and, wouldn't and, you think they take pictures that would demonstrate that, as opposed to like a deep depth of field image of an ocean and some mountains in the background? <laughs> yes, uh, and and one of the images, if you end up watching the end of the video. Which is an hour long. Which yeah, that's which, why I gave up on it. I was just like, this is—I I don't have enough time for this. I know, and, and I, I forced myself to watch the whole thing because I was curious. I mean, it, parts of it are really interesting because they talk about the way. You paid two hundred bucks for that video, Mitch. You better watch it all. <laughs> well, I'm about to pay eight hundred dollars more when they decide to actually ship the camera, but that's cheaper than the sixteen hundred dollar retail price. So I could just turn around and sell it on eBay and make money, right? Uh, but part of the video, they talk about how they're folding the different, you know, the, each one of the images is actually from a different viewpoint, right? Because because of the size of the camera, and and if you think about it, many several of them are about the same distance apart as your pupils, your eyes. And so they theoretically can get some 3D imaging out of this. They talked about the fact that if you uh, use this camera... And they're hoping that because it's an Android-based camera, you will, they will have the ability to do mapping of objects like the Lytro now is doing with their cinema camera that's $150,000 to rent. Yeah. You'll be able to do some mapping of distance of, of, of objects in a, or in a room, for example, if you were shooting video or whatever. Um, so there's, there are some fascinating capabilities for this. You could even do 3D if you wanted to because of the fact that those things are separated. Uh, certain of the sensors are separated about your eye distance. Uh, so there's all kinds of different things that could happen with this. Now, the video they did say is only currently in the first release, going to be using one of the sensor arrays. So they're not going to be giving you all the fancy aspects of uh video uh and and they all right so <laughs> i'm fascinated by this camera and, and I'm, I'm really curious and i'm going to be disappointed if it looks like crap when it finally comes out right but uh so they they've expanded the zoom range so it was originally 35 to 150 was the the focal range of the camera and they've, they've 
dropped it down to 28. So it's now 28 to 150. Uh, and it, again, depending upon which set of or what your focal length is, they fire off different groups of those uh, lens sensor combinations. So uh, they've got a 28 millimeter focal length set. They've got a 50 millimeter focal length set and then 150. So that's that's how the, and and so there's five of the wide angle. There's five of the middle range, and then there's six of the 150. And and so if you're shooting at 28, for example, they actually fire the 50s at the same time. So you end up with 10 uh, sensor images, which they combine electronically, and they show you in the video how they're using the the 50 millimeter, which has obviously a, a uh, less uh, distance. Um, God, what's the word I'm looking for? The depth of field are you looking for? Is or because no, I still haven't gotten to your question about depth of field. <laughs> um, oh, well, you're talking about the focal distance. So, yeah. like uh, yeah. the 50 has to be further away from the subject than the 28 in order to accomplish angle is what I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. okay, right. Because the 50 millimeter has a narrower view angle than a 28, right? Yes. So, Anyway, they're doing it, it's very if you're really interested in camera technology and the way this thing works, that video is fascinating because they give you a lot of information about how they're folding those images together and it's it's going to be cool. Uh, hopefully if they get it all working. Um, so you asked about depth of field and so at the very end of the video they they have this there's one photo of which they originally released. It's uh, uh, taken at a skateboard park. And there's the original photo that is full range depth of field like a cell phone camera. And then there's another that has uh, a narrower depth of field. So the background's fuzzy. Yeah. And they, they fade between the two. Um, and it's perceptible in the sample that they gave. But they also said in the video that they will be able to give you images at an F1.2 uh, depth of field in post-production. Now that's pretty significant depth of field. Uh, and they talk about, they even talk about being able to programmatically change the bokeh, the, the look and feel of the bokeh where if you want a circular. So I could uh, get some heart bokeh in the background if I wanted. Exactly, yes. If you wanted, you could do that or star <laughs> shapes or, or whatever. So I mean, the fact that they can theoretically do this uh, is is to me very fascinating. And you and I have talked several times about the fact that camera manufacturers are really sort of screwing themselves over. And we've talked about this multiple times, but, but the operating systems that they have within the camera and the, the concept of using uh, Android or I, iOS as the operating system, which would allow all kinds of extensibility that the camera manufacturers never envisioned is what's another thing that's appealing about this because it's an android based uh you have a platform that's already set up ready to go so you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you are building a new camera you can simply yeah. use the same arm processors that they're using in all these cameras today but use a developed operating system and simply 
embed your app or your overlay controls or whatever you want to your camera, which, you know, you look at a a Digic 5 processor in a Canon camera, uh, while they give it a fancy freaking name, uh, that's an ARM processor with like the basics uh, installed and then Canon's proprietary control and operating system installed over the top of it. So you're absolutely right, Mitch. You could save a lot from... Uh, going to Android or iOS as your well, I don't think you get iOS. Uh, no. <laughs> Apple would never uh, no. compromise their operating system for a mere camera. Yeah, exactly. And and in in fact, they said in the question and answer that they do anticipate adding a phone feature to this later on because it's an Android, and why not? Uh, <laughs> so. So it will theoretically become a cell phone slash camera in the future. Now, one more question about this camera before we move on. You mentioned post-processing. Is that something that can be done in the camera, or am I going to have to bring this into some proprietary software in order to do this similar to, like, Lytro's uh, whole field light field view system that they had on their cameras that have since been uh, debunked? (laughs) <laughs> defunct would yes be the term and yes to answer your question the answer is yes and yes which is <coughs> one of the things i was really looking to get out of that video uh yes in that you will be able to post process it in camera so you will be able to decide if you want to publish and again because they're android you theoretically can just pop these things out to instagram or facebook or wherever but you can decide at the time you publish it how much depth of field you want what look and feel you want whether you want to do a little post zoom or whatever and there will be a desktop app that you can do post processing as well Hmm. and then be able to send it to lightroom or wherever and do whatever additional processing that isn't included in their software so will the processing be similar to like processing a raw file? Will you have the access to uh, color temperature and some of the other things that are available in raw? Or will this be more of a JPEG type of system where once you're done, you kick out a JPEG and then you can take it to Photoshop or something like that? My, the, the answer to that is that they will be publishing their file formats. So it will be open sourced. DNG maybe? DNG will be an option, they said, but they will be having their own format because they have additional data that DNG doesn't have. Uh. And so because because you will be able to change focus or, or depth of field, for example, on the fly from the master, so the master will have all of the information. I mean, I likened it to the Lytro uh, or the, the cinema version of the Lytro that they were talking about being able to you know, detect individual objects in there and, and what distance they were. So you will be able to change things on the fly, either on the desktop or in camera. So you will have a raw, whatever they call it, their own proprietary format, but they're going to publish the format. So it's not going to be proprietary. It will be open source. So anybody will have access to figure out extensibility to it later on. And so theoretically, I would assume that They'll be giving that to Adobe and whomever to embed features maybe in Lightroom where you could post-process it directly in Lightroom. I don't, I don't know that. They didn't say that. But if it's open source, why wouldn't they allow that? 
That sounds really cool. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and because of that, I mean, that's why I'm so excited about it. I, I think the first generation may be not so exciting, which, which is, by the way, we didn't talk about the fact that two things. Number one, they're not shipping until 2017. What? Unspecified date in 2017. <laughs> which is, I mean, and, and if you look at like, the article on Petapixel, they don't bother to mention that, which kind of surprises me. And I mean, I'm I, so far as I've seen, I'm the only guy that's mentioned the shipping date, uh, which has been pushed out to 2017. And I don't know why none of the articles are talking about it. Yes, that's disappointing, but it also means that they're going to get it right. Hopefully, they're not going to just push something out. Because I think if, 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 for example, they pushed it out and the photos suck or they just look like comparable to a cell phone, they're screwed, right? People yeah. will, will write them off like they did Lytro and go, okay. So they've got to get it right the first time. Now, it's not going to be perfect because, you know, first generation of anything is they've got to have room to improve, et cetera. Uh, but the other thing that they have done is it was supposed to be 128 gigabytes of memory internal. They've doubled that to 256 at no extra charge. So they've they've doubled the amount of memory that will be included in the camera at no extra charge. Well, if uh, you're installing those memory chips in 2017, you're definitely going to save some money on pricing uh, because continually memory drops in price. And that actually is a good lead to the last story on the list, Mitch. Great transition there. Yeah, Let's me. talk about some memory. Uh, if you're familiar with really tiny cards, uh, there are the micro SD cards that are often shoved in your phone, your GoPros and other devices that require very little space. Well, there's a new version of that available now uh, from Samsung. They're the first to release the UFS standard cards. These are micro SD cards that provide 530 megs per second reads and 170 meg per second writes. They're extremely fast. They have capacities up to 256 gig that will be available. But you'll notice that there's some extra pins on the back of this guy. What do those extra pins do? Well, they don't compete or work with your current micro SD yeah. card slot. So uh, it's a cool concept. Basically, and I've got, if you really want to dig into it, uh, the UHF standard, or UFS standard, UHF, no, no. <laughs> Ultra high frequency, yes, definitely. No, the uh, UFS standard uh, controller setup, and that's J-A-C-A-S, I believe, is the the group that comes up with that standard. You can dig into it and look, but basically this is a really awesome micro SD card that has nowhere to go. Uh, as far as I know, there aren't any <laughs> devices yet on the market that are using this interface in their micro SD card slot. So it's awesome, but isn't it the card before the horse, Mitch? Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe you've just discovered something because Canon Rumors published the other day that the 5D Mark IV will have an SD card slot as well as a compact flash uh, CFast. CFast, to... yep. Uh, so maybe maybe they're going to put this card in the 5D Mark IV. Let's start that rumor. Well, I need to dig into the standards on this, but I think it's the same move away from PATA to SATA for the card interface as well as the ability to be more flexible with the type of memory that's used inside the card. So you may be able to 
and again, this is speculation. I have to go research the standard a little bit more. But you may be able to take this and similar to that sort of uh, Russian nesting doll syndrome you get with other uh, cards, you can put maybe put this into a CFast uh, shaped device and then shove the CFast card into your actual device or right. uh, similarly your X. Q whatever format plug it into there and then you know stick it into the next thing so uh, maybe that's a possibility with this and if that's the case uh, then maybe you get a couple of these when they start dropping in price and you save it for the next uh, hero 5 black edition when that comes out with a new type of card I, I don't know I mean the the part of me that says it's really cool is having 256 gigs in a space that's the size of a post-it stamp. Uh, but on the other side, you know, when are we going to actually see phones, devices, and things that, that use this? I want I want a tablet right now that has 512 <laughs> gigs worth of space so I can put my entire life on it and then lose it at the airport and cry for a week. You know, it's, it seems like a great <laughs> idea. I don't know. Why you have to have everything backed up to the cloud. Actually, um, one pro tip here, guys, and uh, this is something I did because I was paying $9 a month or $10 a month for uh, one terabyte worth of cloud storage space. And yeah. it turns out if you write 200 reviews or post pictures of uh, businesses or you answer questions about the businesses, the number is 200 for uh, Google Ways, you will get f- free access to 100 or 1 terabyte worth of storage on Google Drive. So I, I sat down, I hunkered down, I wrote 200 reviews of things that I've been to, you know, covering different countries and a few other things, and uh, now I save $10 a month. <laughs> That seems like a lot of work, actually. It was a, it was a lot of work. I, hey, I got a virtual assistant. Maybe I can get her to do it. Yeah, there you go, man. Just uh, start churning out uh, reviews of different restaurants and stuff. It's it's actually, um, now that I've done it a few times, I actually end up, you'll finish eating in a restaurant, and if you had something really awesome, you just like snap a picture of it on the menu and say, you know, if you come to Joe's Emporium, make sure you eat the spectacular burger of Al Content or something like that. You know, it's whatever they name their crazy <laughs> burger. And then people are like, oh, yeah, that's a great thing. You know, so, uh, you know, if you're looking for free online storage to back up your 256 gig micro SD card, uh, there you go, guys. Uh, that's the, nice. the secret free way to get it. I didn't know that somebody pointed out to me. So hopefully that helps a few of you. Now, I'm about to get out of here, but I got a little bit of time left. Mitch, you have anything else you want to talk about before we go? Hey, before I forget, and I didn't put it in the show notes, don't forget that Tomorrow, Saturday at 9 p.m., is the last day to enter the uh, Roscoe light pad giveaway, which is an 8x8 panel, by the way. 8x8, okay. That's what we I- And now I know. Uh, if you go to planetfyd.com slash giveaway, that's giveaway N-O-O-B, you can enter that uh, light panel giveaway, and you only have until tomorrow. All right, I will add that to the show notes so you guys have access to yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. 
Uh, awesome, Mitch. Well, thanks for getting up really early. Uh, sorry my schedule makes us so... I'm already... You realize I'm two hours ahead of you. I know. So you're in way better shape than me. I had to get up at 4 a.m. <laughs> to get ready for this show. So it's, uh, it's more miserable for me than it is for you. But 7 a.m. is still fairly early. On that and note, the guys... Oh, go ahead. now coming up on your end. Yeah, I can just see a touch of light... <laughs> Back yeah. there, it was pitch black, and, and pretty soon, if we do a show this early, it'll just be black the entire time. Mitch, everybody knows you, but where can they find you? Planet5D.com. Thank you very much. Thanks, DJ. I'm Planet Mitch. Over and out. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, guys. And if you're interested, subscribe or leave some comments in the show notes. I know we had some technical audio difficulties. Thanks, everybody, for sending in some ideas to correct that. We might actually change a little bit and maybe move to Mitch on Skype, and I might be doing the switching by hand just to fix a few oh, of the flubs that are going on with uh, Google Hangouts. Because I love you, Google, but uh, sometimes you just abandon products and leave them to rot on the vine. Line, which is very unfortunate. You can find me at DSLRFilmDoom.com. You can find this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or anywhere audio is distributed. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you next time on another sleepy episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. Yes.